Our gospel lesson for today, the fourth Sunday of Advent, comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. May the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. As a person who's got a background in acting, not to mention a fair amount of public speaking in my day-to-day life, I have an appreciation for skills that are related to this type of thing. And in particular, I'm thinking about the skills that are needed for nonverbal communication. It goes without saying that this takes on a lot of different forms, but I've always appreciated individuals who can convey a message without using words. They use expression or mannerisms and of course actions to convey what's going on with their character. I'm sure there are many different examples of this type of thing. A couple do come to mind for me and in both of them, the non-speaker is part of a duo. Now the first set that I'm thinking about are entertainers that exist in the realm of illusion. You've probably heard of them, Penn and Teller. Now Penn talks constantly during their magic act and in the midst of it all, Teller is busy in the background kind of doing the magic and his expressions and the actions that he's taken, they really make his side of the show. And the second example that I'm thinking about actually comes out of a series of movies that came out back in the 90s and early 2000s. They were very humorous, but really lowbrow. A pair of characters known as Jay and Silent Bob. They have a lot in common with Penn and Teller. Now, Jay talks a lot, constantly, in fact, but Silent Bob, well, it's kind of right there in his name, isn't it? He's silent. And it's through his expressions and the actions that he takes, these tell his side of the story in whatever scene these two characters pop up in. Now, this idea of a silent character is where I find myself connecting into today's gospel story. Matthew's account of a divine announcement of Jesus' pending birth, relayed angelically to one of his parents. Not to mention, in an almost throwaway comment, we do hear today about the birth of Jesus as well. Now, this passage that we've just shared, Matthew's account, it's unique within the three-year cycle of our lectionary text and the passages that come up here for the final Sunday of Advent. It's unique because we do have the presence of Jesus' birth within the passage. Granted, most of what we heard from Matthew today is still anticipatory in nature. It's still looking forward to the birth, which it should be. We are still in Advent for a couple of more days. But with Christmas coming right up on us so soon, I don't think it's a bad thing. 
in many ways today does serve as a transition from this sense of anticipation into celebration of the Messiah's birth. With that being said, this unique aspect of Matthew's gospel of this story and the focal point, it did grab my attention. It might be because we have just come out of a year highlighting Luke's gospel, one in which there is a much stronger emphasis on the way the good news affects the marginalized. Now we see this in a lot of moments in Luke's gospel, but in one of the earliest examples, it happens when the angel of the Lord shows up to announce the pending Messiah and interacts with Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke's account, the angel and Mary have a conversation. Mary is given agency. She's given a choice in the matter, but Matthew's gospel presents things a little different. That became blaringly obvious to me as I first started working towards today's message. The angel shows up to Joseph. Joseph is given direction. Joseph is given divine assurance about what's happening. And even though as a righteous man, he's determined to follow the law in regards to his now pregnant fiance, Joseph receives divinely inspired direction aimed at taking the unexpected action in this story. But it's all about Joseph, isn't it? And I wonder, where's Mary? She's in the background. She's completely passive. She has no choice in this matter. She's powerless. And like Teller on stage and Silent Bob in the movies, Mary is given no voice in this vital moment of history. Now, I'll be honest, that fact really bugs me. Because while Luke reveals her choice and her agency in this whole deal, Matthew glosses over it. She's lucky she even gets called by name. And I find myself wondering, what is Mary thinking during all this? Is she standing there in the background just waiting to smack Joseph upside the head? Is she wondering what makes him so special that all the focus falls in his court? I'll be honest, that was my first thought. And it's one that I really wrestled with as I continued to explore Joseph's role in this story and not just within this immediate passage, but I also took a look at the different times when Joseph continues to pop up because he does fill an important role in the early life of the baby and then child, Jesus. While Joseph had seemingly died by the time Jesus' ministry begins in his adulthood, he was still around during every moment that we're given while Jesus is growing up. He fills that role of parent. He fills the role of provider and protector. And we find evidence of that specific role of parental protector of the baby Jesus when his divine dream radar just keeps going off. The angel of the Lord keeps showing up within the dreams of Joseph. We have today's passage, which happens in a dream. After the birth of Jesus, when the king, known as Herod, when he's trying to kill Jesus off, Joseph gets a dream warning to haul his family off to Egypt. After the king had died, another dream pops up telling Joseph, hey, why don't you come on home? But then upon the family's arrival back in Palestine, another dream comes up warning that the king's son, who's now in charge and is every bit as dangerous, and so Joseph then takes the family north to Galilee. Four times over the course of one chapter of the gospel in which Joseph's dream radar provides them with divine direction. Now in every single situation, every single time, Joseph does take action and good for him on that. 
We're proud of you, Joseph, but still, I find myself wondering, why is the focus on you and not Mary? Why doesn't she get a voice in this matter and you do? Or does he? Here's the mind-blowing thing that I realized after fitting and stewing on this most of the week. Joseph, while he receives divine direction, while he's given divine assurances and he does take action throughout his entire story in any of the Gospels, Joseph never speaks. Not one time. As we look at the larger story, we might as well call these characters Jesus and Silent Joe, because just like that character, it's not words, it's his actions that matter. So what does Joseph do? He defies social decorum, not to mention religious regulations, to accept Mary as his wife despite all logic saying that she must have committed adultery. He takes her into his home. No doubt he faces public shame and ridicule. Then after a few months, when her pregnancy comes to a close and the baby is born, we hear that Joseph named him Jesus. For us, that very final statement probably sounds like a throwaway comment, one that we take for granted. Of course he named him Jesus. But the significance of Joseph taking this action cannot be understated. In this time, it was the role of the father to name the child, especially if the child is a boy. We find evidence of this in a few different scriptural stories as well. And so for Joseph to claim this responsibility, for Joseph to give the name to the baby, he is, for all intents and purposes, claiming this child as his own. He is essentially adopting the child that he knows is not his. This baby that is somehow born of both flesh and spirit, both human and divine in nature, when Joseph says, behind the scenes anyway, I give him the name Jesus, he is claiming Jesus as his child. I can't help but think how hugely significant that fact is when we consider this overarching story of the gospel, a story which is hinted at when we consider the names given to the child. Now we call him Jesus. Jesus is from the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. In fact, it would have been pronounced Yeshua, and that literally means God saves. And not only that, we also hear in the passage today from the prophet Isaiah, who is referenced as saying, the child is called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, this is the gospel, isn't it? The God who saves is with us. The divine will be found in the midst of us. The God who knows we are unable to save ourselves will dwell among us in order to accomplish that which we cannot. And this same God who took on flesh, while utterly different, is also far more like us than we realize. The Savior of the world, the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, is claimed by his earthly father. He is adopted into the family of Joseph. He is given a name by one who claims him as his own. I hope by now you see where I'm going with this. We are given the promise in the waters of baptism that we too are claimed by a parent. We are adopted. We are made heirs to the promise as beloved children of God. 
Now, the similarity doesn't stop there. There's another one that we find in this story. When Joseph is told that the child in Mary's womb is begotten of the Holy Spirit, somehow in ways that go way beyond our ability to comprehend and far beyond my ability to explain, somehow the humanity of Jesus is created out of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, which we hear dwells within him at his baptism, the same Spirit which has been promised to dwell within us through the waters of our baptism. This same Holy Spirit of God empowers us as followers of Christ and it unites us together into the one body of Christ here on earth. We remember that the very Spirit of God that somehow incarnated the living Word of God in the first place also resides within us. This promise opens up a new understanding of what the word Emmanuel means, what God with us means, that not only do we have a God that walked among us, but also that which is divine is somehow found within us, within each of those created bearing the divine image of God in the first place, those ones in whom God delights to be found in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Today, as we are moving from the season of expectation into the season of celebration, as we remember once more that God has dwelled among us, may we all remember in the midst of dark times, both literally, as we consider that we are now in the shortest day length of the year and into the dark season of winter now upon us, may we remember that as well as metaphorically, when we consider the darkness still present within this broken world that we live in, may we remember that to look into the face of one another is to see the presence of God in one another. And just as this is true, as you look at someone else, know that it is also true as they are looking back at you. This is the glory of the gospel. And it goes beyond all understanding that the ultimate creator and sustainer of everything, everything that is both seen and unseen, this same God chooses to dwell in you. Amen.